Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and starship sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 162. I'm your host, Nicholas eaton Clark, and this week we offer you a gut-punching post-apocalyptic fable by Michael Ezel, titled Bones of a Righteous Man. Michael is a former U.S. Marine who now works as a project coordinator for an Emmy-winning makeup effect shop in Southern California. Michael's story, The Good Food, from Beyond the Stars at Galaxy's Edge, was selected for Bain Book's 2016 Year's Best Military and Adventure SF, edited by David Afsharirad. For more, check out the links in our show notes. The story is read by Graham Dunlop, a software solution architect and voice actor living in Melbourne, Australia. He is the former co-editor of the fantasy podcast Podcastle and former host of the YA podcast Cast of Wonders. You can find him on Google+, and he occasionally tweets via the link in our show notes. Now, let's learn the weight of the bones of a righteous man. Has the life of a righteous man been taken? We find that it has, Excellency. And what shall become of the killer? He shall carry the bones of the righteous man until their weight does cause his death. The setting sun reflected in a million rose-hued sparkles across the surface of the glass desert. The slit in travellers' eye-shades cut everything down to a thin panorama. A glittering expanse of heat-glass marked only by the crushed tracks of the apostate's road. In those tracks travelled the wagon he'd been following for days. Weeks, really. With a start, he realised it was more like months. Wasn't it? Through the shimmer to his right, he saw either a town or a mirage that would lead him astray, wasting precious time. Bands of red and purple from the western sky reflected in the glass to his left. Not long till dark. A man could wander off course at night out here, wander into the ruptured plates of glass in the deep desert where a simple trip and fall could easily mean decapitation or, at the least, the loss of some fingers. Given the options, he'd take the mirage. There were at least forty rough timber buildings dominated by the high rock walls of a foundation church. An impressive settlement this far out. Fortunately, for folks so close to the glass desert, the apostates considered the foundation a group of silly children. 
That's the only reason the rock-walled behemoth of a church wasn't rubble and dust right now. The shimmer he'd seen came not from heat waves, but from an immense salt lake behind the town. A foul wind off the dead water carried the steady ka-chunk, ka-chunk of a steam machine. Even though he knew they were there, as much a piece of him as his own ribs, Traveller still patted the pistols under his cloak. People with technology this far from the known would have made a deal with someone powerful to acquire it, and those deals were not always written in ink. He looked for signs of wagon tracks coming from the deep glass into this town, but saw none. They didn't trade with the apostates then. Who else would give these people a steam engine? And more's the worry, what could they possibly have to trade for it? For a long moment he just stood, his black journey cloak making him a twin of his shadow. Something about the foul wind told him this was not a place to rest his soul. But he'd been awake for days, or weeks, or possibly months, and the straps of his burden weighed heavy on his shoulders. He entered the town at the farthest point from the water and followed the steam engine's sound. The few people he saw on the street openly stared. With his journey cloak, floppy hat, face covered by a breathing cloth and eye shades, he probably looked like Kanan the Death Angel to them. They all dressed in flowing lines and bright colours like elites from the known. Desert rubes trying to imitate the moneyed folk. A boy of about twelve walked right up, his curiosity pure and without malice. His mother made weak noises of protest, but was too afraid to come after him. "'Say, mister, did you come out of the glass desert?' "'I suppose I did. You get many folks from there?' Traveller hadn't spoken in so long, the words came out a little ragged round the edges. "'Nope. The traders come across the water.' We don't get no visitors from the desert side. Mama says the wagon riders don't like folks who truck with the traitors. Say, is that a real journey cloak? It is. You know about these? Well, sure. Pastor Gilliam says when a man has to pay a penance, the church gives him a journey cloak and sets him to walking. Traveller unhooked his breathing cloth and worked up enough moisture to spit in the dirt. My cloak don't come from the Foundation Church, kid. I don't truck with them. Beg pardon, but can I ask you a question now? What sort of machine is that I hear? Oh, that's the... De Salva... Er, De Sailor... Something that takes the salt from the water so you can drink it. Well, ain't that something? All the way out here in the wilds. The boy reached out to touch the journey cloak and his sleeve fell away from a pale bony wrist. A brand stood out on the tender skin. The scar was old. But how could that be? For a boy his age to have a scar that old? No, that couldn't be right. That's a strange scrape on your wrist there, Traveller said. The boy's hand dropped immediately. Oh, it's nothing... When I was small, I burned myself by accident on my mother's cooking stove. Traveller felt the eyes on him now. Not curious, but hostile. The adults were clearly afraid to speak outright. 
They glared their reproach at the mother, and she dashed into the street to grab her boy. Come now, we must go. The boy waved goodbye from behind her skirts, and Traveller smiled for the first time. The first time in how long? His life, it seemed. Standing still reminded him of the throbbing in his feet. They longed to be out of his heavy boots and propped up high for a few hours. Raucous laughter from inside the building down the street caught his attention. He followed this new sound through the middle of the town proper. Aside from the massive church, no structure taller than two stories, all made of solid timber that was never meant to know a desert like this. When he reached the source of the merriment, Traveller saw a weathered sign over the door. The hand-painted symbol came from the old language. It meant food, board and companionship were available here. He entered and ignored the stairs he already expected. He stepped up to the highly polished bar and removed his eye shades. The polished bar and the thick oak tables occupied by the ten or twelve townies meant these folks had quite a deal going with the traders, whoever they were. A stout man with long whiskers on the point of his chin stood behind the bar. Help you, mister. Sign outside says food and lodge. I'll take both. The dull thud of a gold coin on the bar made everyone relax. Food appeared, along with a beer that was weak but passable. Some sort of vegetable stew spiced with peppers and turpin flowers, which definitely didn't grow here. He hadn't seen any sign of crops being fed with their purified water, so they must trade for every scrap of food. As quick as the food was on the bar, a woman was at his elbow. Pale breasts rode high in the neckline of a dress that approximated the look of a saloon girl back in the known. Care for some company, mister? Nope. Her false smile died, leaving only the hard glitter in her eyes. Won't cost you much more than that meal. From the looks of your sallow skin, it'd stay with me longer, I suspect. Now the room grew quiet again. Did they think him a damn fool? Maybe dressing like Elites made them believe he was the rube here. A woman with the mark was never hard to spot once you knew what to look for. Her voice went raspy and low. What did you say, you son of a bitch? <sighs> your skin and the tinge of red around the color of your eyes. I'm no fool, woman. Bastard! She shoved Traveller hard and the leather pack on his back hit the bar. Her hands were clawed to go for his eyes, but she stopped short when she heard the dry rattle from the pack. Open fear replaced the hardness in her eyes, and she backed away from him. A man near the far wall stood in the silence. He also carried whiskers on the point of his chin, but his whiskers were white with beads of desert glass woven into them. I am Pastor Gilliam, the spiritual leader of this town. May I ask what you carry, sir? You may. A long silence followed while Traveller spooned the rest of the vegetable stew into his mouth. No need to let it go to waste. It was already clear that he wouldn't be given sleep here, and he needed the meal. He wiped his lips on a sleeve and downed the weak beer. A barrel-chested man stood and slapped a long cudgel in his palm. 
What the good pastor means to say is, what exactly do you carry, desert rat? Bound by the spell of his journey, Traveller sighed. He swung the pack onto the bar, and the movement opened his cloak, revealing the twin-barreled wheel-lock pistols. He heard the metallic click-clock from the back of the room, two men in opposite corners, each armed with a wheel-lock rifle. He marked them as dead and felt the hollow guilt in the pit of his stomach. Tired. So tired. This journey had no end. The man running from him was only a spirit that lived in his mind. But he was bound by the magic from home. They asked, and he had to tell. I carry the bones of a righteous man. Shouts and screams, the good pastor called on his riflemen. May as well try to outstrike a desert rattler. The pistols appeared as if called to his hands. The left locks are already cocked, according to the rules of the journey. At the rough bark of travellers' pistols, the two riflemen fell like string-cut puppets. Motion from the left made him twitch to the side, narrowly escaping the crossbow bolt that buried itself in the doorframe. His last two shots took the bowman and the chin-whiskered bartender, who suddenly appeared with a black sword in his hand. Traveller had a fleeting thought that he'd never seen material like that blade, and then stars burst into his vision as the cudgel laid his scalp open to the bone. He fell hard, dragging the leather pack below the bar with him. He used his legs to fend them off as best he could. He heard a couple of knees pop under his walking boots, but they just kept coming at him, swinging wild, clipping him now and again. One eye swelled shut and he felt his consciousness slipping away. The whore leaned in and spit in his face. Now you're the low one, ain't you? The man with the cudgel caught him good in the ribs, and Traveller knew he'd die on the floor of this inn. Not if the pack is opened. Stop! Leave it be! He begged the voice in his head as much as the people beating him. But the people just laughed and continued. As his vision went dark, Traveller felt hands grab at the pack. Stoke the furnace in the smithy, Pastor Gilliam shouted. No, Traveller clutched the pack tight to his chest. Like a burrowing animal with a mind of its own, his right hand crept inside. His body took the punishment while his fingers slid over the dry bones, finally landing on a tiny one, felt like a toe bone. When he pulled the bone into view, he heard a high-pitched scream. Hard to tell if it was a woman or a man. The white symbols written on the yellowed bone seemed to force his mouth open as he read the ancient word aloud. The word didn't rush across his vocal cords with the wind of his lungs. Rather, it crept out like a vile toad and hopped from his lips bristling with warts and disease. They reeled back from him, already screaming and trying to claw the burning from their skin. The man who split Traveller's scalp with the cudgel swallowed his tongue and fell dead on the spot. A throbbing power filled the air with a whom, whom, whom sensation. The desert glass windows exploded outward, whirling scimitars of glazed sand slashing random people on the street. Searing fire on his scalp as his wound healed over, and Traveller vomited his hard-won meal on the polished wood floor. Still dizzy, he forced himself to stand and gather his belongings. 
Pastor Gilliam lay on the hardwood planks, his eyes as dead as the glass beads in his whiskers. The prostitute had her back to the wall, shivering with fear. Please, don't kill me, she whispered. Woman, I am truly sorry. That's all I can offer. The spreading blood on her skirt registered on her, and she saw the puddle on the floor. Her screams accompanied Traveller into the street. People ran from him, leaving those wounded by the exploding windows to fend for themselves. His scalp blazed with pain, and his tongue felt like someone stuffed a sock full of sand in his mouth. But he travelled on. That was his task. Like all the other places he'd been on his journey, he'd get no sleep here tonight. Shuffling through crushed glass powder in the tracks of the steam wagon again, he should have known better than to stop, should have just stilled his growling belly and kept moving. Not long after sunrise, he thought he heard ghosts of dead townspeople treading through the powder behind him, but when he turned, he only saw the wavering form of a lone person in the distance. Small. The boy he'd spoken to in the street. It took most of the morning for the boy's short little legs to catch up, but they did. Traveller wondered at the lad's determination. Finally, when he heard the boy panting not two steps behind, he spun with his pistols in hand. What do you want, boy? The boy didn't flinch, didn't back away. He just gulped dry desert air in an effort to catch his breath and held up his wrist. The strange brand stood out on his pale skin, a double helix design Traveller had seen before in a book back in the known. But this one had a star at one end. Well, what's this to me? It's the mark of the traders, the boy said. He swung a small pack off his shoulders and retrieved a skin of water. He took a long, healthy pull and offered some to Traveller, who took a polite sip. Rude to turn down any hospitality in the desert, but he handed it right back to the boy. Might give him an extra day or two out here. So, the mark of the traders. It's put on certain kids when they're little. The traders pick which ones. I don't know why. Pick. Pick for what? The boy looked up at him with hollow eyes. When those with the mark are sixteen, they're given to the traders. Nobody knows or says why. That's just the deal the oldsters struck to be rich out here and safe. They would throw their own children away for that? The boy shrugged. Pastor Gilliam says, said, that we're like the son of Ehi, offered up as a sacrifice for the good of many. So why are you following me? I don't want to be a sacrifice for nobody. I'd rather travel with a warlock than do that, so you can cast what spells you will. Beneath his breathing cloth, Traveller smiled. Kid had a backbone, that was certain. He travelled on, and the kid followed without invitation. What makes you think I'm a warlock? Folks say you killed everyone with a spell in the tavern. Not exactly. I just said its name, that's all. Pastor Gilliam says, said, that we should always burn the dead, 
because angels can be captured in human bones by people with evil purpose. Traveller studied on that for a while as the two walked along in the crushed track of the steam wagon that was days, weeks or months ahead of him. I wouldn't say that the things inside these bones are angels, and it ain't as simple as Pastor Gilliam made it out to be. The deed's got to be done by a strong witch back in the grand temples of the known, and the bones have to be those of a righteous man. Why a witch? Can't you do it? The rich, baritone laugh felt like poison being spewed from a festering wound. It emptied Traveller of the ugliness from the town. <laughs> Believe me, son, I'm no warlock. In fact, some say there are none. They say only a woman can trap the life force these bones hold, because only a woman carries a life inside her. Okay. After that, the boy said nothing for hours. They walked in silence until they heard music drifting on the dry air. The long, twisted finger of sand ran in from the north, widening into a natural road as it went back towards its origin, showing that even the great glass desert can die and be reclaimed. They watched the gypsy camp from far enough away that the people looked like shivering shadow puppets through the heat waves. Of course, they would already know Traveller was there, but he'd have no trouble from them. These bones would be the last thing they'd want to see. Maybe he could ask them to take the boy. Their bands sometimes took in orphans. The boy would certainly be safer with them. Once Traveller caught up with the man he pursued, there would be bloodshed all around. The gypsy men were waiting when the two travelling companions arrived, casual enough but with hands close to ornate knife hilts. One of them, the tallest, had an ancient flintlock pistol in his belt, the checkering on the grip worn nearly smooth by generations of gypsy hands before him. He was the one who spoke. I see by your cloak that you travel. Will you not rest here for the night? Gypsy hospitality was well known, despite some old fairy tales about them stealing kidlets and such, but something about them being this far into the glass desert felt wrong. His silence might be considered rude in a few more seconds. I hope to, friend, Traveller said. The taller man smiled and waved a welcoming hand toward the small camp. Two steam wagons that doubled as living quarters for the women and two tents staked into the sand for the men. They shared the dried dates, some hard cheese, and a wonderful stew made from mushrooms and a fat hare. The fire burned down low and the stars wheeled overhead. The eldest male, an oldster with wispy white hair, told the tale of the Stone of God. Being raised in the Foundation Church, the boy had of course never heard this before. He hung on every word about the world-sized rock that passed by the earth eons ago, how it dipped just its very tip into the air of our world right on this spot, burning the sky and creating the glass desert. Entire oceans were moved by its pull, and newborn mountains shrugged off cities like so many fleas. And then the stone of God flew on, into the black, destined to someday circle back and do us proper next time.
A peppering of questions from the boy made the wizened gypsy laugh, and he started the story over again, explaining how each part came to pass. The jovial mood didn't touch the eyes of the other gypsies, and that wasn't lost on Traveller. He found his gaze drawn repeatedly back to a young woman, maybe twenty. She sat in the door of one of the wagons, a tiny cloth bundle on her lap. An older woman tried to feed her, but the girl would only stare at the ground. The firelight was bright enough to pick out each glittering tear as it dropped from her face to the sand. They had to be relatives given the similar wide noses and the green eyes. They spoke with a brogue that tasted of the far north, which only added to the wrongness of seeing them here. Best to be direct about it, even if it meant he would find no rest once again. I've not seen the sand this far into the glass desert. May I ask what brought you all the way out here? The conversation stopped. Not in a hostile way, but with a heavy sadness as each looked to the elder. Finally, the old man spoke. We have followed the Red Star from our homeland. When someone dies, if a Red Star appears, our people believe we will all be reunited with the soul of our loved one if we follow it. And has it ever worked? I've only seen a Red Star once before, and we ran out of land before we could sleep beneath it. All their eyes drifted upward, and Traveller looked, knowing, but not wanting to know. A red star hung above them, feeble and faint, but clear enough beside all its burning white brethren. His lips felt numb, but he heard his own voice say, Who has died? My child! They all flinched. She'd walked up behind them quiet as a cat. She still held the bundle in her arms. One of the women tried to hush the girl and take her back to the wagon, but she would not be moved. She stared into Traveller's eyes and right on through them. His father was taken from me by a fever when I became with child. He was born never knowing a father, and now I will never know my son. My lady, please know my heart aches for you. Ain't right what happens in this life. Losing a child is something no one should ever know, Traveller said. She stared at him a moment longer, perhaps seeing a bit of her own pain in his eyes. She nodded and turned back to the wagon, but this time she didn't perch in the door. She climbed inside and blew out the lantern. This was why they'd been so quick to welcome him. They knew his burden the power hidden inside, squirming to get out. He stood and excused himself. I thank you for the meal, but it's been too long since I shut my eyes in peace. I ask for your leave. They all nodded and smiled as he went off a proper distance in the sand and made his bed roll. The boy caught none of the tension. Just before Traveller closed his eyes, he saw the storytelling elder showing the boy how to make a gargoyle out of goat skin and rabbit bones to watch over your garden. He must have slept, surely. The stars were in different positions and embers winked in the dark like dragons' eyes where there had once been a crackling fire. But it didn't feel like he slept. 
It felt more like reality just slipped for a moment, and when it caught, he was here lying under the stars, just as bone-tired as he'd always been. What had roused him or brought him back to the here and now, whichever it was? A sigh? Faint shuffling? Whispering? A whispering voice from his pack. No. No, it wasn't that. Traveller rose from the sand, silent as a shade. One hand held a pistol, the other his burden in its leather pack. A wise and experienced traveller, he simply stood and listened, watched for movement on the edge of his vision where it was easiest to see at night. The tactic rewarded him with a glimpse of someone moving onto the widening sand, away from the sleeping camp and the glass desert. Traveller stepped over the boy, who'd curled up next to him in the fleeting moment he slept. Past the tents and wagons of the slumbering gypsies he went, treading in the tracks of the person he'd seen. When he rounded the first dune he heard the sound that woke him, a soft hitching sob. He saw the girl, saw the blackness of the blood like oil in the moonlight. The shining blade poised to strike the other wrist now. Stop, girl! Traveller wrenched the knife away. He took hold of her slashed wrist so hard that her fingers turned white. You're trying to doom yourself to wander in darkness with those who leave before the Maker says to? I wish to die, to stop my heart from beating so I won't have to feel this ache every day, every hour, every breath since they're gone, she said. Even with his iron grip, the blood coursed between his fingers, dripping into the thirsty sand and onto the cloth bundle in her lap. She'd struck deep and true. Traveller stared into her dying eyes, just as he had stared into the eyes of the man whose bones he carried. Again the whispering itch inside his skull where it couldn't be scratched, couldn't be quieted. Poor girl! Poor, poor girl! He clenched his teeth, but a pathetic whine still escaped. Pity to die so young, just like Agatha! Stop, but weak, so weak. Please, not her name. Tears streamed down his face and he felt something give inside, collapsing his will, bending him as easily as a smith's hammer shapes soft copper. His hand dug into the leather pack and even then a last bit of his stubborn heart tried to squeeze his eyes closed against the name he could see. He knew the bone that would come from the pack a short rib. Through the blur of his bitter tears, the symbols on the bone danced, daring him. When he read the word, it burned his mouth and nose on the way out, the sound bursting into a brilliant light that blinded him. He fell screaming to the sand, fists screwed into his eyes, begging for the black fire to stop. The pain twisted him into a ball of flesh and bone, and he felt as if he'd finally die. Then, Faint and weak, a sound that made every hair on his body bristle, a muffled cry, like an infant swaddled in a cloth bundle. This time when he woke, or reality caught like a branch in the spokes of a wagon wheel, the night had fled for good. They left before sunrise, the boy said. You were supposed... Traveller's vision swam. His tongue lay in his mouth like a dried sliver from a wood plank. 
He retched onto the sand, and the boy handed him a skin of water. You were supposed to go with them. You would have been safe. Where I'm going is no place for a boy your age. That baby was alive, and the mother said you healed her wrist. But Pastor Gilliam says, said, that those bones you carry only kill and maim people, the boy said. Yeah, well, don't always believe what the folks in charge tell you. They most often look to themselves first, like everyone else. Woozy, Traveller forced himself to his feet, managed to stay standing. And I told you once, it ain't me and it ain't the bones. What's in them, I can't exactly say. Them things are above my station in life. The boy's dark, hollow eyes held an accusation that wasn't there the day before. They said the man you follow is no more than the day ahead of you. What? Traveller snatched up his belongings and made ready to leave. How do they know this? They helped the apostate fix his wagon, the passengers making him drive too fast, and the heat's begun to make the wheels break. Of course, he knows I'm behind them. He told the gypsies a murderer was chasing him. And he was right. He had hoped the kid would follow the gypsies. Those short young legs forced Traveller into a more methodical pace, when all he wanted to do was sprint along the powdered glass track until he either caught up to the wagon or his heart burst. Maybe it was a good thing the kid was here, except for all the talking. The gypsy said the sand's going to reclaim the glass desert some day and the apostate's fortress will fall. It's not just the glass desert that protects the apostates. They have strong weapons. Do they have witches there? Something like seen a painting of one once. The kid looked like he'd just opened a solstice day treat or something. Wow! What did she look like? A thousand-year-old crone, a mean snake-headed creature, a watered nasty... Something tells me your mother doesn't like witches. Oh, uh, yeah. She was none of those hideous things. Her skin was so pale she must surely have lived in a cave all her born days. Naked as her birthday, too. Traveller couldn't help but grin when the kid's brows shot up above his eyeshades. Eyes green as jade from the southern tribes, flaming red hair smooth as satin, and she held a snake of reckoning and a staff of power in her hands, Traveller said. Where did you see it? That one almost stopped him in his tracks. He'd been talking about the before without realising it and that topic wasn't open for discussion. Never you mind. Now save your breath for walking. Before the boy could protest, in fact, before they could walk another step, they both saw it. A shape through the undulating heat waves, too square to be natural, but something looked wrong about it. Traveller began to run, the pack of bones rattling against his back, breath coming in short gasps. It was a steam wagon, overturned. The two front hubs had simply flown apart under the stress. The frantic pace overheated the metal, and the machine punished the two men riding on it. Traveller shielded the boy's eyes from the sight of the decapitated apostate. He'd been ejected from the pilot's chair into a field of jagged glass plates thrown up by a long-ago earthquake.
treacherous glass slicked with blood. Even if the apostates believed in recovering their dead, no one would venture out there after the pieces. The man-traveller had been seeking for days or weeks or months or years, laid not twenty paces away. The piece of black glass that round through his middle was as tall as the boy and as big around as his arm. It was almost like a dream, walking up and staring down into those eyes. How long ago had it truly been since he last looked into them? The crow's feet had been fewer, the haze of a cabet smoker not there, but this was him. I never told you to kill him, the man said with blood on his teeth. So wrapped was he in the rage he'd bottled all this time, Traveller forgot the boy was standing there. He shouted down at the impaled man, You told me he was a seditionist set against the Queen and the Senate. The man just giggled and coughed a bit of blood. Why would you tell me that? You knew what I would do, Traveller said. Then you answered your own question. But why in Hades did you want me to do it? He was to marry a woman I loved. Liar! Traveller spat on the glass. There was a higher purpose at work here, something greater in scope than a jealous lover. The dying man's eyelids fluttered, and he extended a hand to touch the hem of Traveller's journey cloak. Set to wander the earth until you drop, eh? Carrying the bones of that poor righteous man. I had a life, you bastard. Did you? The Queen's pocket assassin? Family dead and gone? What life is that? I was no assassin, Traveller said. The former owner of those bones might argue with you. Even losing his life blood onto the twisted desert glass, the man's words were still filled with passion. They took your name from you, those witches in the Senate, burdened your mind with the spell of the traveller, and then set those bones upon your back. Why would they place such a powerful thing in the hands of a soldier? The nature of these bones makes people pursue me. It's the way of the journey, traveller said. Exactly. And sooner or later you fall. Best if you fell to some small wizard out here, someone with an axe to grind. Those old crones in the Senate want the things and those bones loose in the world, out here in the wilds. It makes them needed in the known, gives them the power to do what they please, all in the name of protecting the people, of course. You, you were the seditionist, Traveller said. A weak smile. Come now, traveller. Heal me with one of those righteous bones. Speak the word that is not a word and make me whole again. No. Whispers itched in his skull. No, be quiet. What is it, traveller? The righteous bones talking to you, telling what you must do? Telling you to help a soul in need? Louder, scratching and rough, not a seductive whisper. 
Small fingers grabbed his hand and brought travel around like a splash of cold water. He's already done that, the boy said. The man glared at the boy for a long moment, but when the youngster didn't back down, the man sighed. Then kill me. I failed, so I might as well die here. Failed? What was your goal? Traveller said. Making you chase me until the desert killed you. What would that have gained you? The bones. Those things the righteous bones hold. I would have carried them to the hands that would do the most good with them. Traitor. And you? What did loyalty gain you? The boy stepped between them and looked up at Traveller. The gypsy said there's another strip of sand ahead. If we want to camp there before dark, we should go. It suddenly occurred to Traveller. Go where? Well, we should tell the apostates that their brother is dead. At the least they'll want their wagon. At the least, Traveller said. He ruffled the boy's hair, and they started off toward the horizon, following the apostates' road. The man screamed after them, Wait! Don't leave me like this! Kill me or heal me, whichever you will, but not like this! The weight of one more life on his shoulders slowed Traveller's feet. He glanced back and tossed a skin of water to the man. Goodbye. He took the boy's hand and they left together. After a long while they heard one last plea shouted as a name. Davian! Traveller certainly didn't know that name. It made walking on that much easier. The craggy cliffs bursting through the deep glass looked deceptively close. In truth... Both Traveller and the boy were near death by the time they arrived. He was burdened by a leather pack of dry bones on his back and a bundle of flesh-covered bones in his arms. The boy stopped sweating this morning and Traveller knew he'd be among the ether folk before sunset if they didn't find water here. He staggered into a wide crack in the cliff and saw light on the far side. The smell of water was so sudden and clear he thought some vital workings in his brain had ruptured. Surely it wasn't... real. He staggered into the open and a dry sob burst from his chest. He'd heard the apostates had a mighty fortress in the heart of the glass desert, but that was a lie. It was so much more than that. The lush valley of verdant life hidden behind the gargantuan cliffs had him slack-jawed, like a kid who just saw a conjurer turning a hare into a horse. Orchards bursting with succulent fruit, soaring oak trees that cast inviting pools of shade, rough stone and earth huts scattered throughout. The life here was not simply healthy. To desert-burned eyes, the plants here looked aggressively alive, twisting and turning upward to take life from the same sun that was killing him and the boy. Two men wearing sky-blue robes of apostate brothers appeared, their long hair dyed the same midnight black. The older had discs of polished glass in his stretched earlobes, while the younger man still had the acolyte's pebble in his. May we offer water, food and shelter, weary traveller, 
the eldest brother said. Please. Did that dry croak form the word? His arms unfolded of their own accord and the acolyte caught the boy. Two more young acolytes appeared and carried the unconscious lad into one of the larger huts. Traveller's glazed eyes followed him, but his heat-addled brain was unable to form the question. He will live, the older apostate said. He is safe here. The old man's gnarled hand touched Traveller's arm, and a feeling of serenity and peace washed over his tired bones. He would have wept had he the moisture for it. Two young women dressed in the brown robes of apostate sisters came bearing a tray of meats, bread and cheese, and a large skin of water. Any other time he would have been ashamed at wasting the water that splashed down his front, but all he cared about at that moment was how much made it into his belly. He drank and drank until he was sick with it. He collapsed onto the improbable green grass, and the girl who offered the water smiled at him. Fair, even with her shorn hair and the three scars of the original sisters on her left cheek. May I take your burden from you? Her voice so soft. A groan. That's the best he could do. He felt, at the end, his death sentence near fulfilled. Finally, the weight of this would break him. I carry the bones of a righteous man. The older brother gave him a strange smile. Do you? What was his name? Barnabas Platic. And how did he die? I killed him. The old man stepped over to a pile of green tree branches, freshly cut and stacked near the entrance to their paradise. Pity. Too much hatred, evil and fighting in this world. Not enough love. Not enough care for someone other than ourselves. Grenna, will you help the man? The young woman, Grenna, held out her hand. In days past, Traveller would already have pistols out, blazing a path of death on his way to... Where? Where had he been on the way to, exactly? Before. Before he'd chased the man who started all this. Nowhere. Set to walk and walk until... No whispers. He stopped his spinning mind and closed his eyes. No scratching whispers. No desire to keep this fair young girl with the shorn hair from lifting the pack off his shoulders. In fact, it felt like the most natural notion he'd ever had. He handed her the pack, and in her hand it seemed light as a feather as if the weight of his guilt had leaked out a torn seam while he'd been walking. She took it to the brother and tossed it onto the pile of green wood. He called out a fire word, and a brilliant jet of emerald flame shot out of the wood, roaring toward the sky. Shrieks that laid his nerves bare made Traveller squeeze his eyes shut, as the things held within the bones were burned into the open and shot into the heavens in a great gout of earth fire and then the flames were gone, and so was the wood, and so was that damned pack of bones. Only an empty spot on the grass where the pyre had been. The apostate released the life force held in the wood, 
consuming wood, pack and bones and all. But the grass beneath was fresh as the first day of spring. Green witches, Traveller said. We prefer the term Wiccanites. How? They can't be destroyed. The things that can be held in the bones of a righteous man. The old man silenced him with a hand on his shoulder. Of all the lies you have been told, that is the greatest. Traveller, O oh weary traveller, there is no such thing as a righteous man. That struck his heart still. All this way, all this pain and suffering. What have I done? The lives I took in their name. The apostate brother grabbed Traveller's hand and touched him wrist to wrist, their pulses suddenly joining. A whirling history of violence, slashing blades and acrid gunpowder in pitched battles, rooting out traitors to the throne, putting them to the blade or noose, Barnabas Platic bleeding on white sheets, the crones in the Senate leering down from their high seats, the Queen turning her face from him in ritual denial. Even seeing all this, the brother smiled at Traveller. Will you stay with us, Davian? Release these things and live in this valley in peace. They left him there with food and drink to contemplate that. He lay under the branches of a whispering oak until pinpoints of white shined in the black heavens above him. Finally, in the streak of a falling star, he saw it, the truth of what he was and where his life would lead. After all, he was no more righteous than the man whose bones he carried across a desert. In the morning he'd sort out his pistols and blades. Then he would strike out for home, a prodigal son no one would rejoice in seeing. And like the stone of God come round again, he would leave a changed world in his wake. For the first time in what felt like his entire life, he fell into a peaceful, dreamless sleep. Michael's story was one of the first we received during our most recent submissions period, and he hooked us immediately with some great world-building and compelling blend of weird Western tropes with overtones of the Mad Max movies and Stephen King's Dark Tower series. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast and other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. Please also consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running. My editor, Gary Dowell, our sound engineer, Mark Zanfardino and myself will thank you mightily. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators must carry the author's bones for eternity. I'm going to go and weigh the bones of my cat by picking her up and cuddling her, which she loves. Of course. No, really, she does.
I'll see you all next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.